Well, hello. We are continuing our teaching series called Running on Empty. And we all, at some point or another, are running on empty. Whatever it may be, whatever it is in our life, there's something about it that makes us feel like we're running on empty, like we're just on fumes. We don't have a lot left. And uh, whatever it is, uh, you may have experienced it. Whatever, whatever kind of empty you may have experienced, maybe you're bringing here uh, to this place, to this time here together. My name is Jason, and uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to have you here. I want to welcome those who are in our classic venue and in our moon venue as well, and our response, or listening online or watching online. I want to welcome all of you as we continue our teaching series, Running on Empty. You know, you may have even been coming to church here today, and it was looking a little low in your gas tank. And you have this thought: we could stop and get for gas. We could stop and get gas before we go, or we could just we could we could keep going. We could go to church. We get get at, get gas after. And I and I want to commend you, those of you who decided. You know what? We want the full experience. We don't want to miss. We don't want to miss anything. We want to get there. We'll, we'll we'll risk it. We'll run on empty, and uh, we'll get to church and uh, get the full thing. Because I. I'm convinced that the, the first song matters as much as the last sermon point. So it's good that you're here. Thanks, thanks to, to, the, to you, those of you who ran on empty as you drove here to church today. Uh, we're going to continue this series, Running on Empty, and we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you would turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Just a little passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. And uh, you can see here the Version app. You can check that out, Pathway app. Uh, the second, uh, second Corinthians, you can find different page numbers depending on what Bible you use and which venue you are in. And uh, hopefully you all are all able to find that. We're going to read that in just a moment. We're going to be looking at the potential of empty. The potential of empty. And I'm not talking about empty potential, Okay. That, those are two different things. I'm not talking about empty potential. I'm talking about the potential of empty. And we don't typically think of emptiness having potential, but I would like to talk about th- that today. We don't typically think of emptiness as having potential. We think of fullness. Like if you were to have some friends over for, for, for a dinner, and you went to the refrigerator, and you open it up, and you saw an empty refrigerator, just a few items. You don't look in there and go like, all right, looks, look, things are going to be good. All right, there's a lot of potential in this, and what I'm seeing in this refrigerator. No, the potential is a full refrigerator, right? We don't think of uh, a place of weakness as having potential. It's usually a position of strength where potential is. It's, if you follow along in sports at all, it's draft season. It's, it seems to be draft season. We've got baseball draft, basketball, and NBA draft is coming up. And they always talk about the potential of these young players that they're drafting. And they're drafting athletes. They're drafting people who, are, who have strength and who can, who can accomplish what they're looking for. They don't, they don't look at, at, at some scrawny, scrawny little player and say, like, I see a lot of potential, small, weak, Not a lot of drive, but I see a lot of potential there. That's not what they're looking at. Looking at strength, they're looking at fullness. We don't often think of emptiness as having potential. We don't think of weakness as having potential. But I want us just to think about the potential of empty for a moment. Because you will see that it is out there. About nine years ago, we, uh, my family, at the time it was my wife and five kids, we've grown a little bit. We have eight kids now, 
But at the time, uh, we, nine years ago, I, I came out here and I was looking at a house that we were interested in. Now, it just so happened that with our schedules that, that I was the only one who was able to come out and, and visit and, and look at this house. My, my wife, Elisa, could not come and look at the house. So I had to come back. I really liked it. I really liked what I saw. I had to come back and sell her on the potential of the house, even without her looking at it. This empty house. I had to sell her on the potential of these empty rooms and through pictures. And you see that there is potential with an empty house. You see, uh, there's also a potential if, if you are uh, in, involved in construction, you build things. You might see a plot of land and say, there's potential on that empty spot of land. I see potential in that empty place. You may have uh, just experienced the graduation of your youngest child if you have children, and you're looking at having the potential of empty nest, and that's something that's intriguing to you. There's potential of the empty. What's that empty going to look like? There's also the potential of an empty heart. You realize so many good songs have been written from an empty heart, a broken heart. There's a country song that goes like this because the best songs come from broken hearts, from busted dreams and beat up guitars, from times like these when I'm down on my knees. It's true, the best songs come from broken hearts. There's potential in an empty heart. There's potential in an empty house. There's potential in an empty nest, an empty canvas whatever it might be. And, and I believe that there is potential in you and I when it comes to being empty. The potential of empty. What is the potential of your empty? That's what I'd like to talk about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're there, let's, let's read this. Verse 3 in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God, this is the Apostle Paul, by the way, writing to the church in Corinth, his second letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that, turn to your neighbor and say, so that. So that. One more time, uh, turn to your other neighbor, say it just a little bit louder. Say, so that. So that, exactly. These are key words when it comes to this text because we're talking about the potential of empty and the potential of empty sits in these words, so that. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just, verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul is writing to a people who need encouragement and comfort because they're suffering. They're, they're undergoing uh, challenging situations, situations that would leave them empty. And people are longing, the people he's writing to are longing for encouragement and comfort. Does anyone here need encouragement and comfort at all? Anyone here? Raise your hand. Does anyone need encouragement? We all need encouragement and comfort. If you didn't raise your hand, it's just because you're thinking about which thing you need encouragement for to raise your hand for. We all need encouragement and comfort. 
Paul is writing to a people who needs encouragement and comfort. And he is an apostle who's experienced encouragement and comfort, and he wants to bring it and offer it to those who he's writing to. Paul starts at verse 3 by saying, Father of mercies, praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the Father of compassion. Immediately, this is a stark contrast to his, what his audience might be used to hearing about what a father is like or what they're used to hearing what a father is like or what they're used to experiencing what a father is like. It might not have been that typical to have a father who is known for his compassion. And here, he is the God of all comfort, limitless compassion, limitless encouragement. And Paul starts off by saying, this is our God. This is who has shown encouragement and comfort to us. It is limitless. It is unstoppable, his encouragement and comfort to us in our times when we are empty. Yet, as limitless as it is, we won't really know what that comfort is like, what that encouragement is like, unless we open up ourselves to it. If we read this and say God is the God of encouragement and comfort, of all comfort, and yet we say, I'm good. Life's good. I'm good. I I don't need it. I'm all right. We miss out on the opportunity to experience that encouragement that comes from the God of all comfort. It's important for us to acknowledge that we, that we need it. When Jesus says things, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's looking for people who would acknowledge that they need the God of all comfort. You see, it's important. Even though we are all empty in one way or another, we still, this is our tendency, we still can't help but want to give the impression to other people that we're all good, that we're, that we're not empty, that we're full, that we're fine, that we're even sometimes winning at life. We're undefeated. We're good. We don't need it. But that's a dangerous place to be when we don't, when we don't recognize that we are empty and we need the God of all comfort. This last weekend, and I'm not a huge fan, it just caught my attention because it was kind of a big deal in the boxing world, Anthony Ruiz Jr. became the heavyweight champion of the world, the first Mexican ever to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And when I was a little kid, boxing seemed to be like a really big deal, and then pretty much my whole life, it hasn't been. But this seemed like a big deal this last weekend. Now, he beat someone by the name of Anthony Joshua who had an undefeated record. He was, you know, you hear that, the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. He was undefeated. He had zero losses. There's something in the boxing world about this, this, uh, this, this longing for zero, this desire to hold on to your zero. And what that means is to have that undefeated record. Because everyone wants to be able to say the, the 22-0, the 34-0 fighter, they want to hold on to that zero because there's something about being undefeated. I heard some people talking about the fight and saying maybe now Anthony Joshua will be able to really fight as he can fight because he's got that, that zero out of the way. He can now acknowledge his loss. He can now kind of, uh, even though he, he came up empty in the fight, 
He'll be able to fight maybe better than he has before because he's got that zero out of the way. And when it comes to us in our walk with God, sometimes we, in a, in a sense, uh, not, not in the same sense as, as a boxer who has a literal zero, but sometimes we try and give the impression that we are still holding on to our zero. And we're not willing to acknowledge the fact that we, we are empty at times and that we, we, we don't, we don't need to give that impression that we're, that we're winning all the time, that we're undefeated, but that we are actually empty. And there is potential in that empty for more than maybe there was before we acknowledged it. If we don't acknowledge the fact that we're empty, we miss out on the potential of what God has in store for us. And I, I can... I, I have a few things that I'd like to, to talk about that are, that, that are the potential that we might experience when we think about the potential of our empty that come from these verses. And the first thing is this, is a shared experience. In our emptiness, there is the potential of a shared experience. A shared experience. Verse 3 through 5, let me read that again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Can you see all the sharing that's happening there? God comforts us in our emptiness and affliction so that we can comfort those in their emptiness and affliction, so that they can be encouraged, so that they can receive comfort. Lots of sharing going on between the God who comforts us and those of us who comfort one another. The potential of a shared experience when it comes to being empty. One of my favorite things to do as as a father, as a parent, is have dinner together with my kids. And we have a table that seats all of us and a few more, but we tend to sit at a table that doesn't seat all of us and bring chairs around to like squeeze in, which is a lot of fun. But one of the things that I I think about more than any when when I'm sitting during those mealtimes is just the shared experience of hearing my kids talk to one another. You know, some in high school, some starting kindergarten, whatever it might be, but just sharing and talking with one another. And that, that experience and thinking of, of how special it is for me to share that with them. Sometimes I'll go through an entire dinner and won't say a word except maybe pass the butter. But I'm just listening to all of it happening and experiencing that shared fellowship around the table in my kitchen. When it comes to the potential of empty, we have that potential of a shared experience. There was an article uh, a few years ago in the Atlantic that that talked about uh, some scientific studies regarding the shared experience between people. And basically it came to the conclusion that, that people would rather have an experience that is not that exciting, um, not that, you know, interesting with other people over experiencing something by themselves. 
And they did this little test where they had people come in to a room and individuals would watch this exciting show, this magic show, and they would have these group of people watch this really boring cartoon. And the studies would say, and this was one of the things they did, one of the studies they had, the studies said that the, the people who experienced the really boring cartoon as, as a group were much more fulfilled and enjoyed the company of one another in that, ex- that time than the person who, who got to watch something really exciting and interesting. And different kinds of studies were were showing that. But it was very clear that the shared experience was more valuable than than the individual one. The writer said, in social interactions, people aim for relatability, not impressiveness, not to be impressed. More important than having undergone something, it seems, is having someone understand And when Paul talks about coming and God comforting us and us comforting and encouraging others, it is that idea of understanding one another and sharing with one another. My daughter Jalen, when she was, uh, I don't know, maybe seven years old, her and another kid were, were having this territorial battle for something. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember her saying, God says to share. And I and I was a little caught off guard because I'm like, does he? D- d- where, where is that? I, I, can't, I can't think of the verse where it says share. Um, and, and she was convinced that there was. But we see that here in this text. And that for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We're sharing with God who comforts us. We're sharing with Christ who comforts us, and we share with one another. There is a verse for God saying to share. And we see that he sets the example, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. He says we share in the sufferings of Jesus, and we share in the comfort of Jesus. How do we do that? Because Jesus himself recognized the potential of empty You remember what it says. You may have heard this before. In Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus understands better than anyone the potential of empty. Jesus met us in his empty. How do we do that? How do we share in that experience? How do we participate in that shared experience? How do we comfort and encourage in those moments when we ourselves are empty? It's difficult because a lot of it is involved with us taking our eyes off ourselves and putting them on other people. And then when we do that, the challenge is to to not give advice. The challenge is to to not want to give reasons why they might be suffering, why they might be experiencing an empty time. Paul is, the word over and over, comfort, comfort, the idea of encouragement, the idea, that understanding of that word is to stand beside in comfort. To stand beside. What a great image that is. Because it's not not to give give a description of, of why you're empty, but to stand beside you while you're empty. Not to explain the reasons, not to maybe give advice on how you can get out of the empty, but to stand beside you in the empty. 
sharing in others' emptiness. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul's talking about doing it while, while we ourselves are needing that comfort. As a pastor, I've had the privilege, and it sounds odd to say that, privilege, to share with people in the midst of their empty, when they're going through something that is, that is a very empty time in their lives. But that shared experience is so valuable when it comes to being able to experience comfort, not only for the person who might be feeling the empty, but for myself. There's something very powerful about the shared experience that happens when we are considering the potential of empty. What Paul is describing here is not that we would come alongside one another with the idea that we would deliver from, that we would help people deliver from what they're experiencing, but, but that we would bring encouragement in to their situation. Not deliverance from, but encouragement in the situation. Encouragement in the midst of emptiness. We are all at times running on empty. But we are talking about the potential of your empty in the midst of your running. While you run on empty, what, what are you able to see? What is God able to do through you while you are in the midst of your empty? How does your empty, whatever it is, how does it benefit those around you? Not after you've filled up the tank. Not after you've got your act all together. Not after you've, uh, you know, your calendar starts to lighten up. Not after the kids have moved out of the house. Not after the vacation. Not after your Red Bull. How, how might your emptiness benefit those around you while you are still thirsty, while you're still low on energy? What is the potential of your empty? When it comes to serving God and encouraging others, your empty doesn't have to be the pause button with what you might be experiencing through God. Your empty doesn't have to be the pause button. Now, I understand there are times when we are experiencing something where we have to check out for a moment, where we have to step away from it. But I also think that God is calling us, that we see here in the scripture, that there are times when we're experiencing the low and the challenging, and rather than step out, we're called to lean in. That there's people who, who need to hear us. That there's people who need us to stand beside them. What, when it comes to serving God and, and encouraging others, your empty doesn't have to be the pause button on that. It can be the platform from which you bless others. How do we comfort? How was Paul comforted? Sometimes you, you, you can comfort by the, the simplest of ways. Encouragement means standing beside. It means uh, when, we, when we're there, maybe it's just to listen, just to be present. Encouragement means standing beside. And we see later in this letter how Paul was encouraged. We see this in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 5 says, For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We had no rest. That's the kind of thing that brings us to a place of feeling empty. 
no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Then verse 6 is this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort that you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul was, Paul was comforted just by the, the presence of a friend. Just by the presence of, just because Titus showed up, he was comforted. And sometimes that's what God is calling us to do, to show up to those who are empty, even when we ourselves are in the same place. Another thing that comes Another thing that comes in that potential of empty is a win-win situation. And this is, this is interesting, what Paul says here. I find, I find this uh, very interesting. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at a situation that you face and, and see two paths ahead of you? One's a rocky path, one's a smooth path. But you can see bo uh, positives in both. You see the positives in both the rocky path and the smooth path. I think about this sometimes when it comes to... Um, tryouts for my kids, like trying out for an orchestra or something like that, for the violin. Now, I see the positive of being, you know, in, invited into the orchestra, but I also see the positive of them, of them not, because then I don't have to hear the violin screeching all the time as they practice, right? So I can see the positives in both. Paul is, Paul is describing a situation where it's a win-win situation for the other person involved. Look at this in verse 6. Uh, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Whether I'm experiencing, wh whether I'm distressed, whether I'm experiencing an emptiness— can I live in such a way that you are still comforted? Yes, when I'm experiencing comfort, yes, you'll, you'll feel comfort. But even when I'm experiencing distress, even when I'm empty, can you be comforted? Paul seems to think that if we, if we allow ourselves to receive that comfort from the Lord, that same comfort that he received from God, if we receive that comfort, then no matter, no matter what we're going through, whether we're empty or we're full, we'll be able to comfort either way. It is a win-win situation for those who are involved in our life. How many people in your life would say, no matter what John is experiencing, whether he's high or whether he's low, I'm always lifted up. No matter what Becky is experiencing, if, if she's like a, in a really down mood or really positive, really empty or really full, it doesn't matter. I'm always encouraged by her presence. Paul seems to think that if we allow the God of all comfort to work through us, that no matter what we face, it is a win-win situation for those that we are in relationship with. What is making you feel empty right now? Is it anxiety? Is it suffering? Is it relationship, uh, relationship you're involved in? Is it, is it the busyness of life? 
we've all, if, if we haven't yet, we will, we will all experiencing, experience one of those things or one of the things I haven't mentioned, things that will make us feel empty. Paul is saying whatever you're going through has potential to benefit others. You say, what about me? What about benefiting me? How do I get benefited? Yeah, that's there. That I am comforted when you are comforted. That is there. Does whatever that emptiness, whatever that emptiness is, I think this is, this is huge because I have to think about this for myself. Whatever that emptiness is, does it make you want to step out what God has for you or lean in to what God has for you? Does the anxiety make you want to step out or lean in to what God has for you? Does the busyness make you want to pull out? See, I don't have time. I can't do it. I've got too much going on. Does it make you want to step out? It's not, it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I'm too busy. It's, it's draining me. I'm running on fumes. Does it make you want to step out or does it, does it make you want to lean in? And I think that's import, something important that, that every one of us has to consider. Ultimately, who is it for, right? Self-serving, is it about me or is it about the church? I think we read here that Paul is concerned about the church and our desire is that they would be blessed, that those in the church would be blessed through us, that those around us would be blessed through us, suffering or in comfort. Who can you stand beside in the midst of your emptiness? Who are you in relationship with? Who do you know that has experienced a challenging time, but yet you are still able to stand beside them when you are empty? Have you considered the power of that? You say, let me, let, me, let me fill up first. Let me get in the right place first. No, no. Think about the potential of empty. No, no, no. Let, let, me, let me put my life together. Let me get things situated. No, no. Think about the potential when you're empty. There's a story in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4, the story of a, of a widow who uh, has two sons. The two sons are about to be sold off into to slavery, which was a normal practice at the time when, when a family owed a debt, that the sons would be sold into to slavery. And the widow goes uh, to Elisha, the prophet, and she says, I have to pay this debt, and I have nothing. I'll have to sell my sons. And Elisha comes to her, and he says, uh, what do you have? And it's like, did you hear what I just said? I have nothing, and I have to pay this debt. I have to sell my two sons. Is there anything, anything that you have? What can I do? She says, I have this, this flask of oil. It's not much at all. And he says, Go to, go to your neighbors, go to those around you, and get as many jars, as many pots, as many containers as you can. Make sure they're empty. Make sure they're empty, and bring them in to your house that, that you say is empty. Bring them in, shut the door, and, and, just, and just watch what happens. So she starts to fill up the containers with her flask of oil. And her sons keep bringing her more 
containers, more empty containers. And, and she keeps filling them until she finally asks and they say there are, there are no more. And the prophet Elisha says, you, ha- you have enough now for you and then you can sell more for, for the future for your sons. It's just a simple story. But there's, there's a great picture of the potential of empty when it comes to what God can do, right? What God can do. When you think about it from the perspective of the sons, they're empty, they have lost their father, and they're about to be sold into slavery, leaving their mother. And yet their mother, who is empty herself, steps in, in her emptiness, and helps her sons in their emptiness. Now you say, well, of course it's a mother who wouldn't do that for their children. But I say, of course, that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about how we would treat each other like family. That we in our emptiness would be able to do whatever we can in other people's emptiness to help them be encouraged and comforted. The last thing, last potential of empty is a secure hope. Verse 7 says, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Our hope is firm, that what I've experienced from the Lord, the comfort that I've experienced, the comfort that you've experienced, our hope is firm, that that will continue on. Something about the most difficult situations from Paul's perspective gives us the deepest strength and a confident hope. Why is Paul so confident? Why is Paul so confident that what God has done and what Christ has done for us on the cross can give others encouragement and comfort? Why is he so confident? I'm convinced because he also believes in the potential of empty. Paul is convinced that Jesus is no longer in the grave and the tomb that he walked out of is empty. And those who seek the Lord, those who understand that God is the God of all comfort and wants us to experience that comfort, has the power to raise us from the dead, has the power to fill us, has the power to bring his grace, which is sufficient for us, bring his power in our weakness, as Paul writes later in 2 Corinthians. He is convinced because there is an empty tomb and there is a lot of potential in that empty. He writes these words not just to praise God, which he does, not just to discuss what God has done, but he is also concerned with showing them, showing his audience that their lives are inescapably intertwined with one another, whether they are high or low, whether they are full or empty. There is is a desire that we would thrive in the midst of that, even when we are running on empty, so that in our emptiness, we might reach our full potential of helping those who are empty around us. Let us consider the potential of empty as we seek the Lord and encourage one another. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the chance we have to 
to sing. Thank you for the chance we have to come together and look into your scriptures. I pray that you would help us to receive your comfort when we are going through times that are difficult, times that make us uh, feel empty, and that we would be able, a people, able to be a people of encouragement even in the midst of that. Give us the strength in that weakness. Give us the power when we are lacking it. Lord, help us to seek you with all of who we are and help us to be the people and the church that you've called us to be. We thank you for this time. We ask that you would help us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.